This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution. That will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Bustin' Loose Baseball Episode 14 coming your way. We're looking ahead to the week that'll be for the Nationals. Plus, we're talking to... Dave Jagler, one of the voices of Nats baseball. He and Charlie Slows, an outstanding broadcasting tandem we've been spoiled by for years. We're going to go behind the scenes with him, traveling with the team, prepping for a broadcast, calling games during the pandemic. We asked him all kinds of questions. We got great answers. You'll hear that in just a moment. Plus, as always, second episode of the week, a Nats superlative with our producer, Darius Dameron. It's coming up right now, and it all starts busting loose baseball in your eardrums. Let's go. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball episode 14. Danny Ruye, Grant Paulson, and Darius Dameron, our producer. Dave Jagler in just a moment. Danny, interleague play used to be exciting because you'd see, you know, you go to the American League Park, Nats get to use the DH, American League teams come here, they have to have their pitchers hit. Not anymore. We got one uniform rule, which I think is the right way to do this, but it does make games like this matter a little bit less. It's been a long time since the Nats went to Texas. Yeah, a little bit less intrigue with it. You're right, the contrasting styles and, you know, just sort of exposes team building philosophies and the like. Now everybody's pretty much the same. So you're right. I have, I'm going to familiarize myself with this Rangers roster here over the next uh, a couple of games because it's a team that I just have not seen very much at all this year. Well, you'll recognize a bunch of the players. They spent a lot of money this offseason. Corey Seager coming in there. Marcus Simeon, obviously, as well. They thought they were going to bop, and off and on they have. Simeon got off to a terrible start to the year. Pirates three-game series next up at Nats Park, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I mentioned this on our last pod, I think. I can't wait to get out there and see O'Neill. The O'Neill Cruz traveling show, RBIs in his first six games. Crazy. He's been unbelievable. On, on top of that, though, for me, it's just the skills. like Exit velocities over 110 routinely. He's thrown the fastest a throw from an infielder to a first baseman this year. He's one of the fastest foot speed guys we've tracked, certainly at his size. He's a 6'7 shortstop. Like, it's out of control. This guy's skill set is pretty crazy, uh, but it'll be fun to get back to Nats Park for the first time since the madness of the Phillies being there for Zim weekend. And on that homestand, by the way, the Marlins are also coming to town. they got to be running out of games against the Marlins at this point, right? I mean, Miami just keeps beating Washington. It's crazy, but I feel like they played the Phillies for one series. They played the Marlins 10 times already. Uh, it's nuts. Yeah, and, and the Marlins are very comfortable against Washington. It's kind of role reversal of what it's been over the last decade, right? Where Washington's at the class of the division and the Marlins are bottom feeders and you know they're looking for prospects and always building towards some kind of future. Well, 
how the tables have turned with the shoe on the other foot, whatever the expression is. It's a bunch of really good pitchers shoving it on this Nationals club. Before we get to Jags, let's shout a that out each real quick. I'm going to go Eric Fetty, six scoreless last time we saw him. That's two six-inning no-run outings for him this season. He has quietly been very serviceable in the back of this rotation. And frankly, based on the pitching this year, he really has been their number two type starter. If you're lining up effectiveness, Josiah Gray probably and then Fetty, uh, the Nationals... 22 games under 500, 20 and a half games out of first, losers of 8 of 10. I don't need to remind people how ugly it's been. Fetty has actually surpassed expectations as a veteran in this rotation now. The cutter has been really good. He's increased his cutter percentage dramatically, and the results have followed therein. Uh, Josh Bell, nothing special here recently, and he's cooled from his you know torrid start, but he's maintained good averages, good uh, percentages in terms of contact rates, and and you know giving good at bats pretty much every time. He has been very consistent, setting himself up either as you know the remote chance he may be a piece that's here, but in all likelihood a nice trade chip. Without further ado, let's let you hear our interview with Dave Jagler, one of the voices of Nationals Baseball on the radio with Charlie Slows over the last decade and a half. Great to catch up with him. Here was our conversation. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we are joined now by our good friend, Dave Jagler, who you hear with Charlie Slows each and every Nationals game on 106.7 The Fan. He is in Texas, where I'm assuming it's very hot, but hopefully he's in some air conditioning. What's up, Jags? Yeah, we, we've got air conditioning. We've got a roof over the ballpark tonight. So this is my, my first time broadcasting from Arlington, Texas. The Nationals have not played here since 2005. My, year was 2000, my first year was 2006. So I'm kind of like a rookie. And they got a new park, Globe Life Park. Yes. So you, your first time there, obviously. But how many ballparks currently have you not broadcasted in or been to? I'd imagine you've checked every box almost. Well, this will be num- this will be number thirty of the current, plus some some ones that have gone by the wayside. But I never got to do the, the previous ballpark in Arlington, which was around for a long time. But uh, we'll check this one off the list, and we'll have the complete set after tonight. 
So, Jax, these last couple weird years, sort of notwithstanding here, kind of go back in time for us. We kind of want to do a deep dive with you about prep and just sort of about what life is like calling Major League Baseball games. What's it like traveling with the team? I mean, it's one of the things that I think is is probably so underrated. You get to know the guys, and it just helps you give so much insight and you know, kind of what they're going through on a daily basis. Just walk us through that. What's that process like? Well, I mean, the, the difference this year, I mean, it's been night and day for what we can do as far as a broadcast, like just having access to the players. Uh, the, the last couple of years, we kind of felt like we were just the average fan in the stands who happened to have a microphone in front of our face. We had no additional knowledge <laughs> that anybody else would have. And that, that made me feel terrible as a professional because my job is to give the listeners more than what they could read in the paper or just gather by themselves watching on television or, or listening to us. So I, we missed that, that connection of kind of being able to tell the story of each player, something as small as when the Nationals called up Reed Garrett, who's a 29-year-old rookie. He's from the Richmond area, and I didn't know how to pronounce the name of his hometown. Um, and in, in spring training, when we saw him, I, I called it Henrico, Virginia. Well, it turns out it's Henrico, Virginia. So something as small as that, that as a broadcaster you want to get right, you're able to, to get that right by being able to, to ask him. Uh, and then it's kind of also, hey, what, what are they working on? We're there before, you know, before the gates open. We can see what they're working on pregame. Luis Garcia is new to the shortstop position. He's had his defensive issues. So I can watch what they're doing as far as drills and pregame. And then, oh, by the way, go up and talk to third base coach Gary DeSarcina, who works with the infielders, and say, well, why are you doing this? And, you know, well, it looks like he's having problems throwing the ball. Well, you'd think that would be an arm problem. Well, no, it's actually a footwork problem that is causing his throwing problems. So they're working on footwork drills and fielding ground balls at different angles to get him in a proper throwing position. And if a play like that happens in a game, well, I can reference my conversation with Gary DeSarcina before the game. So that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that to me, is, is, is a separator. I mean, anyone can kind of just show up and, and call balls and strikes and call a double in the gap, but what can I give the listener that they can't get otherwise? And that's that's in the the few hours before the game uh, that's in the clubhouse when, it, when it's open, it's around the batting cage, uh, you know, talking to Darnell Coles about th- what he's working on with different hitters. That's the kind of stuff that we can give the listener that, uh, that's a little bit extra. And to me, that's really important. And it, it was devastating to me that we couldn't do that for two years. And I, and I thought our product was subpar as a result. And you, you could say, well, it, so- it sounds the same. It sounds like you're there. Well, I, I know it wasn't as good as it could be, and that bothered me. Yeah, you're a pro. You're one of the best there is at this, and I tell people all the time, we're spoiled. I think you're as good as it gets in the game right now as someone who studies play-by-play pretty closely, and I know that it was eating at you, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, it was frustrating. And, and those are the things just about not being able to have the access, even at home, none the least of which you guys weren't traveling forever. In fact, you were one of the last groups to start traveling again, which was just an outrage to me as a listener and, and utterly egregious. And uh, getting you back on the road is a big deal, too, because just calling baseball, you know, you, uh, the ball's hit, and yeah. you don't know if it's going over the fence or if it's a routine fly ball to left until a camera person that you have no control over shows you uh, what they show you. And, and then you're at their mercy, essentially. I mean, there are just plays that I'm sure over the last couple of years, you guys had no idea really what happened, fair or foul, I would have to yeah. imagine. Yeah, there were dozens and dozens of those plays. <laughs> I look back and it's like there were terrible calls. And it's simply because you had no idea what was happening. And baseball is the hardest of the sports to call remotely. I mean, if you think about basketball, I mean, everything that you, everything that's going to happen on the basketball court, you can fit onto your TV screen. 
And it's kind of the same in football. Most of the stuff happens around the line of scrimmage. Now, occasionally you get a long pass, and you know you might not be able to pick the receiver up right away or the or the defensive coverage. But in baseball, I mean, the, the the area of the field is so wide. When I, when I'm calling play by play pre-pitch, I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at how the outfielders are, are aligned. I'm looking at how the infielders are aligned, which is a huge part of today's game with so much shifting and you know guys shifting count to count, knowing whether the shortstop is on the right side or if it's a two-one count, the third baseman's going to be on the right side. You know where the where the catcher is set up, and your field of vision is basically you know kind of over the pitcher's shoulder into home plate. So you're seeing like ten percent of the playing surface, trying to describe it. And when a ball's put in play, I like to say if there's if there's a couple of runners on base and there's a there's a double in the gap, I've got to watch about six or seven different things. I've got to watch each base runner. I've got to watch the batter. I've got to watch the outfielders. I've got to watch the relay man. I've got to watch the base coach. And I can process all that with my own eyes because I've been doing it my whole career. On TV, I might be able to see one or two of those things at the same time. And then when I want to see where the runners is, they might show me uh, they might show me an outfielder. It might show me the trail runner. When I want to see the lead runner. So there were so many calls that we screwed up, and it just it, it just ate at me every time it happened. <laughs> I felt like I just wanted to to slam my hand on the table and uh, you know and, and pout. But at the end of the day. You know what? What what could you do? So it's great to be back to normal and and doing the doing the broadcast the right way. Dave Jagler with us here on Bust and Loose Baseball. Grant and Danny just getting behind the scenes looks at what it takes to put on such a great broadcast that Charlie and Dave do every single night. Jags, walk me through your prep in terms of you know I I, I was amazed when when Grant and I got to go into the Capitals booth and I saw Craig Lachlan's board. It was you know wider than both my hands extended in opposite ends. I mean it was it was this massive poster board things of and everything of for him, Danny's handwritten in black sharpie. Yeah, it's just it's crazy that every tendency, every stat, everything was relevant just in case it came up in the third period. He could he could call it. You know it was just amazing. Uh, walk me through what you do. To make sure that you're ready. I mean, you mentioned sort of the stuff from a Nats perspective, but just kind of big picture. What do you have with you? And, and is it is it over preparation that you're worried? Is it under? Just kind of walk me through your uh, your process. Well, I, I kind of have two levels of, of preparation, Danny. There's the, the pre-series preparation, and there's the, there's the day of you know doing today's game preparation. So, like for this series with the Rangers, we haven't played the Texas Rangers in five years. So basically, their roster is almost completely different than the last time we saw them. So leading into a series, and I, and I used the time, honestly, on, on plane flights. Like, the, you know, the other night uh, after the rain, the rain-shortened game in, in Baltimore, I did about two hours of work on the plane and got an hour of sleep and a three-hour flight to Dallas, and I'm working ahead uh, to the St. Louis Cardinals series. I mean, I, I do a pretty deep dive on every player that is on the 40-man roster on every team. And so that is when a pitcher comes in, I know his background, I know how he got to the major leagues. I know what his entire career looks like. I know what he throws, you know, fastball, slider, curve, changeup, velocity, and all his pitches. And I know the same thing for all the position players. So there's not a single player that's going to come in the game that I can't tell you something about. Do you, now, do you have use, a Word document where you just have, yes. like, height, weight, college, all that, and then you kind of post it somewhere? Or do you have that document no, 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 in front create, of you during the game or what? I, I, create, I create my own and I print it out. So I have it, I have it accessible to me. Print it out. I, the last thing I want to be doing is searching through my laptop when the game's going on. Because if my eyes are on the laptop, my eyes are not on the field. And at the end of the day, my job is to describe what's on the field. So I'd much rather have things printed out so I know where they are and can find them quickly in between pitches. So I'll, I have, a, I have a, a document with all the Texas Rangers players on it, their entire career history. And I may use 
5% of that material in this three-game series. And it takes several hours to put together. But there, there was an example, and a, there was a, a fan of the Nationals. There was a, it was actually a game against the Texas Rangers. And Nick Martinez, who's still pitching in the major leagues, was a, was a second baseman at Fordham before he became a pitcher. And this was back in, in interleague play when pitchers batted. And the Rangers pinch hit Nick Martinez for the starting pitcher. And Nick Martinez was a starting pitcher. And in my mind, I'm going, well, why the heck is one starting pitcher pinch hitting for another? They were going to take the starting pitcher out. Why not just let the previous starting pitcher back? And I had on my notations that Nick Martinez was a two-way player in college. And so I was able to answer that. Instead of saying on the air, well, I don't know why Ron Washington is pinch hitting one pitch, pitcher for the other, I was able to uh, explain why. Because this guy had experience batting in college. And so that was like four hours worth of preparation for four seconds of radio. And one person came up to me. I, I saw we had a, a charity event that night. And one person came up to me and goes, I couldn't believe it. I was listening. I'm going, why is Ron Washington pinch hitting one pitch hitter for you know, one pitcher for other? And you told me. He goes, that was amazing. And I go, I said, you just made my, you just made my career. You made my day, my <laughs> life. I said, I did four hours of preparation for four seconds of radio that one person noticed. And it was all worth it. Because I don't want to ever be saying, I don't know why. And so that's what all that preparation is for pre-series, uh, as far as all the biographical information, all the players. Now, day of game, uh, you, you kind of wait for the, the lineup cards to come out, and you write the lineups in your, in your Bob Carpenter scorebook. And I'll go through, you know, first game of a series, you know, whether it's a Seager at shortstop for the Rangers and Simeon at second base, and I'll go through their day-by-day and I'll see if they're on a hitting streak or if they're on an over streak, and I'll write little notes about those players. You know, do they have any head-to-head history against the pitcher? Do they have any head-to-head history against our team? Um, just sort of little nuggets that I may drop in. You know, uh, Seager's up in the third inning. Hey, over those last ten games, he's hitting three eighty two. He's on a pretty good hot streak right now. I like to go. I like to look for streaks, hot or cold, that I'll drop in as little nuggets. And so that takes about thirty minutes to an hour to put together. Um, you know, my, my scorebook day of game, once you get the lineups, um, and, and the, the Carpenter scorebook's great because it has a box to write your defense. It has a, write, a box to write down your bullpen and your bench. So you kind of have every player on the field in front of you on your scorebook, and, and it's, it's a good reference point. You know, hey, if there's a, a shot to the left fielder and, you know, this is a new team, I, I can look down at my box and see who's playing left field today if it's not right at the top of your brain. So that kind of preparation is day of game. But honestly, most of my prep work for this series was done a few weeks ago because not having played the Rangers in five years, there was a lot of work to catch up on. Dave Jagler talking play-by-play with us here on Bustin' Loose Baseball. So I have a bunch of pet peeves when it comes to listening to broadcasters. And look, when I'm calling games, I'm sure I violate some of my own pet peeves and people hear things with me that they don't like. It's all kind of just up to the ears at the moment. But I can't stand overly shticky calls. I just, it's not for me. You know, it's becoming more and more popular, it seems like. But, you know, analogies or metaphors, which I normally love in talk radio, and in music. I don't need that in broadcasts. I also think like hitting me over the head with too much information at any one time, too many stats aren't great. I, I want you to have how many doubles are in front of you. After a double, tell me how many doubles there are. What are some of your pet peeves? Well, I mean, that, that's all kind of stylistically what you develop, and, and that, that is one of them. My, my big pet peeve for radio is um, missing the pitch because I, I, like, I like to have a setup to, you know, if, if a pitcher is working for the lineup or the stretch, I want to let the listener know that the pitch is on the way. 
And, I, you know, we, we can have the best conversation story going on, and it's kind of an art form to be able to weave a story or a conversation into a radio broadcast. It's much easier on TV because, in, in essence, you could ignore what's going on on, on the TV and people would be fine. But on radio, you can't really do that. And so that, that's kind of my pet peeve. If, you know, if, if minor league guys send me stuff and I don't know when the pitch is on the way, that bothers me. Because if I'm a listener, all of a sudden, you know, you're talking about something else and like, you know, well, there's a drive to left center. You know, it, it's like you catch the listener off guard. If you don't say, well, here's the pitch or, or the 2-1 is on the way. You, you can have like, you know, 10 or 12 different ways to describe a pitch is coming. And, and I, I, whatever you're talking about, to me, the most important story you're going to tell is what's going to happen on this 2-1 pitch, because that's why you're there, to describe the game. So that, that's one that, that I am fanatical about, that I, I want to give a setup to every pitch and not be talking over a pitch. Because in, you know, unlike football, you know, football, you know when they snap the ball, something's going to happen. In baseball, you could have 15, 20, 30 pitches where not much happens, but then that one pitch could be the most important pitch in the game, and you never know when that pitch is going to be coming. And if you're not ready for it, then you're not doing your job. What would Dave Jagler of today say to young Dave Jagler first turning out as the play-by-play broadcast voice of the Washington Nationals? Oh, man. Uh, enjoy the ride. It's going, to be, it's going to be quite a journey, and don't, uh, don't sweat all the – all the game five losses because eventually it's going to work out really good. <laughs> I felt like I felt like especially 2012, boy, 20, all those 16 and 17. Those games took like years off my life. Just kind of the the, the tension of those games. But if you, if you kind of knew that at the end of the day you were going to win a championship, uh, it, it would have all been worth it. But I, I think I probably would have tried to tell myself to uh, not sweat the day by day and enjoy, you know, because because early on. The team struggled, and it was kind of like, all right, we're doing every game today. And that's where we are now because there's, there's not a lot of tension whether they get their 26th win or they don't. Uh, but those, you know, kind of enjoy when you have the good team a little bit more. Because, you know, when you have a good team and a good team struggles, that can be almost more frustrating to call than when you have a team that's not expected to be good and they struggle. <laughs> because we, honestly, we had some teams, like in 13 and in 15, that were expected to be really good teams. They were projected, you know, preseason to be a World Series contender. Ultimately, they missed the playoffs, and those years were kind of frustrating. But at the end of the day, they, they were contenders those years, and so I, I probably would have uh, advised myself just to enjoy that kind of period a little more. And that all came full circle for us last weekend when we had a bunch of the guys back for the Zimmerman ceremony. And that was basically our first kind of Nationals alumni weekend because the team hasn't even been around 20 years yet. That was kind of the first time the guys from all different eras of Nationals baseball came together to celebrate Zimmerman. And it was cool to see Ian Desmond and Danny Espinosa. And you know, Danny Espinosa was a very polarizing player when he was with the Nationals. But at the end of the day, Danny Espinosa was on winning teams. And when you think of Danny Espinosa, you think of Nationals having good teams. And so it was enjoyable to catch up with those guys and kind of reminisce on what were some really good times. What's your setup when you're calling a game? You went through your prep, but if, if you're in the booth, are you a minimalist? Like, do you have the roster taped on the window to your left with your your scorebook in front of you? And what what all do you have? I, I'm I'm in between because there there are certain guys who just have the scorebook in front of. Them. To me, that is the ultimate minimalist. I have I'll have the Rangers roster taped to my left. I'm a, I'm a left-handed. I'm a driver's side broadcaster. I have to broadcast on the driver's side. Charlie's on the passenger side, even though technically he's kind of the, 
the lead announcer. I've just, in my entire career, for some reason, even pre-nationals when I worked in uh, basketball or minor league baseball, I've always been on the left side. What if you <laughs> showed up and Charlie with, was in the other like seat? What would, would happen? It would almost feel weird. Like, you'd be way yeah. thrown off. Yeah, well, Pete, Pete Medhurst said that the other day because Pete has filled in for me when I've done television or when I have my, my kids' graduations. And so when he works with Charlie, he sits in my seat, which is on the left. Well, last weekend, uh, you know, Charlie had to miss for a, a family memorial service, so he sat in Charlie's seat. He was on the wrong side for, for him. So I always sit – I'm a left-side broadcaster, so I, I, I tape the, I'll tape the Rangers roster up on the window, and I'll tape each team's uh, stat sheet, you know, uh, hitters and pitchers for the Nationals and the Rangers. And then in front of me, I'll have my scorebook, and I'll have my, my folder, which includes – uh, the things we talked about, kind of the Rangers print out of their bios. And I keep it day by day on each Nationals player um, I'll, for, for all hitters and pitchers. So I can look up hitting streaks. If a guy hits a home run, I can look up right away the date of his last homer. So I have that kind of in a folder in front of me. Is that notes and you prepare or is that the team's game notes? No, that's all mine. Okay. That's all mine. Uh, that, and that, that way... If any, if any, if there's any math mistake, it's my mistake, not reading somebody else's mistake. And then I'll have the uh, the laptop open to the MLB uh, game day stat system, which is which is incredible now for calling pitches. Which, considering the height at Nationals Park, and we hear the, the broadcast booth here in, in Arlington's pretty high, it's sometimes it's tough to differentiate at the height, uh, whether it's a, a curveball or a slider, or sometimes either you know a breaking ball and a changeup. But it is instantaneous. It gives you the velocity and the pitch type on the MLB stat system. So that's a way for me to have that up and know exactly what pitch was thrown. And I can, I can give you a velocity if I, you know, I do that sometimes. So I, I have that up. So I'd say I'm probably middle of the road as far as what I've seen other guys have in front of them. But at the end of the day, all that in front of you, you can block that out when, when the play is going on. And, and prior to the play going on, the focus is on the field, 100%. That's where it has to be. I don't have a great analogy for this, Jags. I can just borrow from my, my stand-up experience. When I first started, I just emulated guys that I thought were great, and then I sort of found my own voice and kind of figured out what I wanted to be. I guess kind of similarly in radio, too. Is that how you kind of got going? Like, A, who were the guys that, that you really looked up to uh, in this industry that you initially patterned yourself after before kind of finding your voice? And I'd love to hear about that process. Yeah, I mean, I mean, growing up, I grew up a Red Sox fan in, in New England, so the Red Sox announcers were were terrific. Uh, you know, on, on the television side, we had uh, Ned Martin, who was a great announcer. We had Sean McDonough replace him, who's obviously a terrific announcer. And on the radio side, uh, it was Ken Coleman and Joe Castiglione, and Joe is still there. And the preparation I kind I got from Joe, I, I didn't really, I didn't know Joe, but I heard him talking about how. Back in the day, and this is kind of pre-computers, he had a note card. He would do a note card on every player. So that was kind of the idea that I got about how to you know, prepare a bio for every player. It just, you know, it, it didn't seem, it seemed kind of a waste of time to handwrite everything when, you know, with a computer in front of me, I could just kind of cut and paste and, and create my own system. So he, he was kind of one that uh, I heard about and I tweaked it to my own style and then developing a broadcast style, I used to, to be a, an AM dial scanner. Um, and, and my station in Hartford, Connecticut was 1080 to cover the Red Sox. I could, I could turn the dial just to the right, get 1090, and listen to John Miller on BAL. I could turn it to 1100 and catch the Indians on 3WE out of Cleveland. And then I could turn and I could find Ernie Harwell on WJR in Detroit. And just at night, 
you could scan and find these guys both on the East Coast and in the in the upper Midwest on the radio dial sitting in Connecticut as a kid. So that was kind of my lab as far as listening to, to broadcasters. And on the television side, everyone emulated Vin Scully. He was, on, he was game of the week. He was doing the World Series every year. Al Michaels was a terrific baseball announcer back in his day on the network level. So uh, those guys I, I listened to and, and tried to hone my style. But again, as far as preparation, probably just uh, from, from Joe Castiglione talking, um, you know, Charlie gave me the, the template for the day-by-days our first year with the Nationals, and so we kind of used the same thing on that. Uh, so that added an element of, of preparation, which I didn't have when I was in the minor leagues. So uh, I've kind of taken on what some other people have done and, and built it and tweaked it to the way I like it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Charlie has been here since day one for one year without you, and then you've been here every year since the second season, right? That is correct. The first year was an announcer named Dave Shea, so we didn't have to, have to learn a new first name. <laughs> right. It's always been Charlie and Dave, so they were looking yeah. for a Dave, and they found you, which I like. Um, so that's great. Okay, and then the other thing was, in terms of actually calling big moments, one thing I've always loved is you don't necessarily have a catchphrase. When I was a young broadcaster, I used those, and I remember talking, and matter of fact, you were one of the guys many, many years ago when I was in college, and others that kind of said, hey, if you, if you do that sometimes, you don't always call what's going on in front of you because you're launching into whatever your catchphrase is. And if you're on the radio specifically, maybe someone at home doesn't exactly know what happened. They just know, you know, that the the play occurred. And so I, I guess I'm curious about that. But also then, Dave, what you like to call most in big moments. Is it an unbelievable defensive play? Would it be a big home run? Because obviously you're not normally in the ninth. You've called walk-off right. homers and extras, I'm sure, but not as frequently as if, if you were doing the ninth inning. So take me through some of that. Well, I hope you got an A on that project when you interviewed when you were at George Mason. I, I did. I, hope, uh, I crushed that right. project. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's kind of been, you know, obviously you know working with Charlie, he has – a couple of catchphrases, and, and I think that, that it can work uh, for, for different people. But, you know, for sometimes, uh, again, if you're, if you're worried about getting the catchphrase in, then, you know, you, you might not be exactly painting an accurate picture. You know, if, for example, if it's high and far, well, not every home run is high and far. Some are low and barely clear the wall. And it helps, but, too, Jags. Yeah. Like, his is kind of short. Um, it, on TV, Carp has a, you know, see you later. That's not right. a long – like, John Sterling's doing a 14-second routine. To me, you're missing a lot of stuff. With those guys, it's a little bit shorter, so it can kind of work. Yeah, and and, Car- and Carp's works. And, and, you know, Charlie with the with the curly W in the books, I mean, that, that works because – of you know just the logo and that he kind of came up upon that organically, which is generally the best way to do it instead of kind of trying to cram one in. It all happened during the ten game winning streak in the magical first half of two thousand five, where he kind of came up with the curly W in the books, and that and that really works. And so so does Carps. I choose to go the other way, and that's fine. Um, you know, I, I think it's, that's different strokes for different folks. Um, as far as the memorable moments, I mean. My, my top two both happened to be Howie Kendrick home runs, uh, one in extra innings in, in L.A. and one off a foul pole in the seventh inning. So, you know, I, I think that's just the big moment. Um, you know, I did have the pleasure this year of doing uh, a couple of ESPN games, and it was really fun. I did, did the Sunday night game, the Mets and the Phillies, and it was fun to be able to do all nine innings of play-by-play. It turned out to be a ten-inning game. And there was a, a, a rookie, Nick Plummer, had his first big league hit for a game-tying homer in the ninth inning. The crowd was great. It kind of felt like a playoff atmosphere. And then the Mets wanted a walk-off hit in the 10th. 
I got back to the hotel and I kind of had like a surge of adrenaline. Uh, like I was wired. Like I haven't felt this since the 2019 postseason. So it was great to have that, that feeling again to call, you know, to have the professional challenge of, of doing that network game and then, you know, getting a great game on top of it. So I, I don't necessarily say, well, it's, it's got to be a homer or a, a walk-off hit or a defensive play. You know, to me, I just like seeing you know, good baseball, close game, great moment, and hopefully we have more of those in the future. Easy answer is just to call more Nats World Series wins, you know, God willing. But what would you want to call as a broadcaster? I mean, you've already done some of the things that so many people dream of. For a player, it's easy to win a championship in their kind of given sport. For you, what would just kind of your fantasy list be? What would you want to call? Yeah, the, I mean, the, you're at the highest level. There is no higher league. So you can't, right. you can't get from – I've had a promotion in 17 years. I'm, I'm grateful for that because it's so hard to get here because there's only basically 60 radio positions in Major League Baseball, and, you know, you try to hold on to it for as long as you can. So I am certainly, you know, very, very happy, very comfortable here. And, and we have, uh, you know, Charlie and I had a tremendous chemistry together, and I think an appreciation for the fans because outside of that first year, it's kind of all they know. Now, maybe, they, maybe they'd like something a little better if it was different, but hopefully not. So, I mean, it, to me it's special, kind of like, you know, for Zimmerman being a, a one-organization player – I mean, being a one-organization broadcaster is, is a great thing, being associated with a team for an entire generation and hopefully now into the second and maybe the third generation. The, the thing professionally that, that I would like to do, and that's part of the reason that I've, I've kind of stepped out a little bit to do uh, some of the, the network stuff, is I'd like to be able to do postseason at the network level. If the Nationals aren't in postseason, then I'd like to be able to do postseason baseball. And, and that's kind of what would be my – you know, just a you know, pie-in-the-sky dream to make that happen uh, on a consistent season-to-season basis. So hopefully steps are going in that direction. Well, it looks that way, and you crushed it when you are on ESPN Radio, so I'm sure that'll be happening. Uh, Dave Jagler, busting loose baseball with us, winding down here for a couple of moments left. All right, I've got some rapid-fire things I wanted to throw at you here before we let you go. Normally with players or something, we'll ask them about their teammates, but uh, I want to just get into some intricacies of the uh, broadcast game. And again, you guys should listen to Dave and Charlie. They do an unbelievable job. Charlie's world class has been in D.C. off and on forever, dating back to his time with the Bullets and has uh, been tremendous, and and Dave is as, as good as he gets as well. All right, so Jags, let's do this. Best booth, worst booth to call games in? Best booth to call a game in is Philadelphia. Great view, uh, very accessible, great press dining. Worst booth is Wrigley Field, because Literally, if I was any more than 170 pounds, I couldn't get out of my seat for the entirety of nine innings. It's gymnastic. I'd be out screwed. Of the booth. Great, great, incredible ballpark, but a very bad booth to work. But I love doing. I love doing a three-game series there. Any more than that is a little annoying. Jags basically saying, "Hey, Grant, you're too fat to broadcast." There. I think he said yeah. that exactly. That's the quote we're going to pull out for the promotion. I have to lose some weight before I go uh, call a game at Wrigley. Jags best and worst spreads for media. Oh, Philadelphia the best, uh, no, no question. Turkey Hill ice cream uh, with Frank, the server. It's, it's legendary. Worst is St. Louis, the new Bush Stadium. I went in there my first year in 2006. I had a mystery meat. I couldn't tell if it was pork, chicken, beef, <laughs> salmon, uh, goat. I've never been back in there. I mean, so I've got a 17-year grudge about the press dining in St. Louis. They have a nice club level. So I just I, I go in there with the 
the folks on the club level and there's a stir fry station or a sandwich station or some pizza salad, I will never set foot in St. Louis press dining ever again. And I've, I've held true on that for 17 years. That is stunning. Uh, have, have players ever approached you with issues and or compliments about calls? Like how plugged in are they on what's going on? Um, I, I kind of lost you there. Was it, is that, did you say the play, the players? Yeah, have, has a player either positively or negatively ever addressed something mm. you said on air where they're like, hey, great call, or the other way where they're like, hey, you said this, I didn't love that? No, you know, I mean, in the minor leagues, you always were aware that the that family members were, were listening, and uh, this actually happened to a, a, a partner. I, the, the guy I was working with made a comment about how uh, one of the players' girlfriends was with him on this road game, and his parents were listening, and they were kind of, you know, uh, they were religious, and they, they didn't necessarily approve of her <laughs> being on the road oh, wow, man. they weren't married. So you, just, you, you never – I, I kind of learned a valuable lesson, even though it wasn't me. Don't talk about, you know, player significant others on the radio. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> lesson. Lesson learned. So that was a valuable lesson. Um, I thought you were going to say he was married or something, and his and then he no. <laughs> surprise, like uh, his girlfriend's on the road and his wife. His going, side piece is with us here. And... <laughs> no, no, that, that we would say we would uh, we'd have to edit those details if that was the case. I'd say that the, the most the pl- most enjoyable one was after the Howie Kendrick home run in L.A. We were, you know, there was a long celebration, and everyone was kind of spent. And we were on the buses going back to the hotel for the post-game party. And and Howie happened to be on, there were several buses, and Howie and I happened to be on the same bus. And Howie was with his wife and his kids, and so the call had kind of made its way onto social media at that point. And so I got to see Howie listen to the call with his family, what, you know, as he's watching himself hit this, you know, at the time the most memorable home run and. Nationals history at the at the time until he broke the record a few weeks later, but that w- that was pretty cool to watch him do that. Yeah, that that ain't too bad. And he's he's like he kind of gave me the thumbs up. Like, oh, that, that was That's great. Awesome. Uh, what's the most disgusted you've been by a DC radio host in Houston? <laughs> was that game one or two when you ate everything in the uh, when you sampled everything? Was that I, game one and two? Might have been. Both. I think it was two because you were extra nervous. Probably. Yeah, I was right? freaking out, man. Game two. <laughs> Yeah, you, you every you know you, you sampled everything, and Houston has a really good spread. You sampled it all, so <laughs> I think what particularly had Jags on the verge of gagging was when you the had dessert? yeah the dessert. the dessert. It was like ice cream and and brownies and peanuts and cracker jack all on top of each. And there other. was like a cookie involved for some reason. Yeah, it was well, the, thing, it was the thing about it. Houston, you have the ice cream machine, but then they have like these you know hubcap size cookies and yeah. and brown, you know it's like you get one or the other, and you 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 got them all. <laughs> You can see why Jags is in good shape, in addition to walking some golf courses during the baseball season. Well, we much appreciate you catching up with us. Uh, Sometimes it's more fun not even to talk about what's going on on the field. And uh, we wanted to do a deep dive into behind the scenes as as you and Charlie have become part of the fabric here. And so many people listen to these games. We thought it'd be fun. So thank you for being willing to answer these questions. My pleasure, Grant Danny. Always good to talk to you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And now we welcome in our producer, Darius Dameron, because we wanted to hear what kind of nice things you guys have been saying about us as you've been commenting and subscribing to the podcast. We are trying to get you to say nice things, and so we are rewarding you by reading your comments on the air when you do. Yes, absolutely, and we have yet another five-star review. Thank you to the people that are providing those five-star reviews. This one is from uh, T-Dog1. He says, Grant and Danny take their expertise to the pod realm. As a DMV native, I've been lucky enough to see these two create great careers on the airways of the area. Their knowledge of the Nats is second to none, and their content is smart. Keep up the great work. Best bi-weekly Nats pod there is. Wow. T-Dog. T-Dog. We appreciate that. That and, was awesome. And a lot of confidence to use bi-weekly. Yes. There. I indeed. don't know how bi-weekly, bi-weekly works. Does that mean twice a week or every other week? Semi-monthly. Does that mean twice a month or every other month? I, I think the way T Dog used it, we we can be confident that it means twice but a week. You got to be, you got to know what you're about to be able to drop that into a sentence in a review, real casual. So good for you, T Dog, on both fronts. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. All right, Darius, what is our superlative this week? So our superlative this week, in in celebration of the NBA draft, which took place on Thursday night, which Nats player would make the best NBA prospect? What do you think? Ooh, very good. Danny, you go first. Steve Ciszek, herky-jerky game. He's 6'6". He looks like an octopus walking on land. I just have a feeling he'd be annoying to play against. Like, if he spent his whole life playing basketball, he would maybe be a 3 and D guy just with some angles and the like. I don't think he'd be a star. You could see him knocking down shots. Yeah, just I guess he throws the ball in such a weird way. He probably has a herky-jerky release. I think he's too limmy. But that's what that's what basketball players are. They're just nothing but limbs. I think he would have a weird shot that also went in. Like you know what I mean? You know how like Reggie Miller's shot was kind of corkscrew. Otto Porter didn't have the purest release, but they knocked down shots at a high rate. I think that could be the kind of player Steve Ciszek is. I think Victor Robles could play the point. He'd be athletic and kind of take people off the dribble and get to the rim, so I'd throw him out there. But I'm going to go sneaky here. Lane Thomas is going to be my answer. I could see Lane Thomas as a two-guard, like stand around the perimeter, knock some shots down. We just talked to him on this podcast. We did an interview with him, and he said he played another sport, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Wasn't I thought it? it was football. Was it football? I thought it was basketball. 
I could be making that up. It might have been football. Regardless, I have if, no if he played baseball and football, I just have to assume he played basketball. I'll agree. For some reason, I thought he told us he played basketball, but maybe I'm lying. Uh, I, I'm just going off of the last time we saw him on the mound. He looks like a monstrosity when he stands on the mound. Now, he's only 6'5", but Jackson Tetro, that's a tall dude. That's I don't, a big dude. He's an imposing presence on the mound. I feel like he could translate that height into the basketball game. Hey, Let's how go about Tetro having a good outing, by the way? That was a heck of an he outing. He was great. Steamed up for that. Love it. All right, those are our draft picks to the NBA from the Nationals, and that has been a brand-new episode for you of Boston Loose Baseball. We are back at the start of next week. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy Nats baseball to a week right here each and every week. Keep it locked in to Boston Loose Baseball, Nats fans.